Thanks for tuning into the Sounds of Healing podcast. You will discover a new way of being using the power of sound and vibrations. We'll be having conversations with new thought leaders, sound healers, and mind-body experts. Listen and find the path to your elevated dreams. Today, when this podcast is being released, it's New Year's Day. And really exciting time when symbolically we see a chance to start over in new ways, being better. However, in order to do that, we need to embrace what has been. So today we have a very special gift. We're going to talk with Greg August about a very relevant topic, race, relations, equality, diversity, and about having conversations. Music is a beautiful mode for communication, and Greg has opened the envelope further and deeper and added conversations using words and themes, not always or very often expressed. Sounds of Healing guests show a deeper level of awareness and consciousness. It's something that I really love and embrace and love to share. They really create with a purpose to make a positive impact on people's lives and on the world. I am beyond grateful to introduce to you our guest today, Greg August. Hi, Karen. Thank you Hello. for having me. Yeah, this is you and here are you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'd My like to pleasure. share about your really interesting background with everybody. Bassist and composer Greg August spans the classical avant-garde jazz and Latin jazz world, making him one of the most versatile musicians on the scene today. He is an associate member of the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, as well as the American Composers Orchestra, Westchester Philharmonic, and the Orchestra of St. Luke's. Greg is also the former principal bassist of La Requesta Ciotat de Barcelona and the Brooklyn Philharmonic. As a jazz bassist, Greg is a member of the J.D. Allen Trio, having recorded nine albums with the group, as well as Arturo O'Farrell, Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, with whom he's won five Grammy Awards. In 2003, Greg formed his own record label, Eosuez, which he has recorded four critically acclaimed albums of entirely his own original music, Four by Six, 2014, One Piece, 2007, and Late August, 2005. In August of 2020, Greg released Dialogues on Race. It received a Grammy nomination in the Best Large Jazz Ensemble category, an extended suite for a 12-piece large jazz ensemble and narrator. The extended work deals with the subject of race relations in the United States. He utilizes poems from Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, Marilyn Nelson, and others to create a musical conversation on the issue of race. Greg was awarded two grand prizes by the International Society of Bassists for the 2020 David Walter Composers Competition in both the Chamber Ensemble and Bass Ensemble category. He has also composed many full-length concert works, including a commissioned work, Una Rumba Sinfonica, which was premiered by the Buffalo Philharmonic. Greg has performed and or recorded with the New York Philharmonic, Steve Reich, the Bang on a Cantars, Alarmal Sound, as well as Ornette Coleman, Chick Corea, Branford Marcellus, and Ray Barreto. Greg was on the Downbeat Magazine's Critics Rising Star Poll in 2017, 2015, and 2013. An adjunct professor at New York University and Williams College has also been on faculty at the Bang on a Can Summer Music Festival at Mass MoCA, North Adams, Massachusetts. Since 2003, Greg received his bachelor's degree from the Eastman School of Music 
and his master's degree from the Juilliard School. Thankfully, we can have this dialogue today. One of my favorite reviews begins describing the scope of this album. Attractive in creative musicality and unflinching in honesty, August offers the jazz world a masterwork in contemporary art that demands discussion, evaluation, and dissemination. This is from Tom Urich of the All Music Guide. So here we are. It's just, just amazing. And one of the things that amazes me so much about your project that spans so many years that I just want to learn more and more about is the timing of it. It feels so much like it was divinely guided. And so there are so many questions that I want to ask about this project and how it all came to be. I heard that it started 10 years ago with a commission. Can you tell That's us right. about that? Yes. So you are exactly right. The piece was commissioned in 2009 by the Jazz Gallery in New York City. Um, and I think along with the Jazz Gallery, it was the Jerome Foundation. They commissioned composers every year to, to write full length pieces or larger scale pieces, I should say. And I was lucky enough to receive one of those commissions back then. And uh, we, we premiered the piece in April of 2009 and um, kind of put it away. <laughs> but I guess I should maybe mention how I came to uh, want to write about the issue of race and whatnot. And I guess at the time, um, there was a lot, of, a lot of talk in the news about you know, race issues, maybe more prominently than we're used to because of Barack Obama running for office. Mm -hmm. And he was enduring a lot of uh, criticism, um, some of it explicit, some of it not so much. But in any event, it was a, a lot of things were being um, discussed. And, and I guess I was also becoming more aware of, of uh, something that I, ha I hadn't maybe been aware of, which was it was really hard to discuss race with my friends that maybe didn't look like me, you know, my, my bandmates. And um, so, you know, we always, well, we eventually did talk about a lot of these things that were happening um, in the, in the, at the time, you know, like I said, again, with, with Jeremiah Wright, you may remember, he was somebody that was um, being criticized or Obama was being criticized for his association with him. He was his pastor from Chicago that was considered a firebrand as they called him because he, he, some of his outspoken criticisms of uh, policy in the past. So there was a speech that Obama gave, I think it was in Philadelphia around that time that kind of just gave a broad history of, of race, of, of the United States and race relations. It was just, a, I thought it was amazing because he, he covered so much in such little time. And um, I don't know, all these things were, were sort of just, you know, speaking to me and I thought okay if I can figure out a way to discuss race in a piece of music then um, that would be great and I didn't really know where I was going to go with it but at the same time of all this going on with politics and the media I I saw a movie by um, um, Keith Beauchamp it was a film about Emmett Till just happened to see it on PBS I believe it was PBS or something like that um, and it was about Emmett Till, and I knew about Emmett Till a little bit, but this film was, you know, filling in a lot of things I did not know. And there was a particular scene in the movie that struck me, and that was when Mamie Till Mobley, Emmett Till's mother, describes in vivid, gory detail what she saw at the funeral home. 
And she tells it in a very stoic, controlled, almost without emotion. Um, and I, I just felt I wanted to maybe somehow incorporate that into the piece. And all these things were just, you know, going on at the time. And I just threw them all together, all the ideas, and started looking for poems and all kinds of things that I could, you know, um, basically put together that would serve as, you know, uh, a discussion of race, really. That was that was what it was 10 years ago. I mean, I know that was a long-winded answer. I apologize. No, that, that's perfect. That's what it was. And, you know, uh, I'll keep going if you'd like. Um, well, um, I read something that you wrote in your statement about it, about uh, how she opened the casket and everyone could see what had happened to her son. And she knew that this lynching wasn't unique, but she wanted to show the world how ugly human beings can treat other human beings. And so is there any background to Emmett Till's lynching that we could know about if, if we aren't familiar with that? Well, that's the thing is um, Emmett Till's murder is, is known um, by many, not by everyone, happened in 1955. He was uh, a young boy from Chicago whose family had all come from Mississippi. He went to Mississippi to visit cousins. I think it was the first time he had ever gone there. And they, as they say, uh, he didn't understand the codes of behavior at the time. This is all during Jim Crow, right? And um, apparently um, he may have whistled at, at a white woman or something along those lines. And I think a couple of days later that men came and took him from his, his uh, uncle's house where he was staying and they never saw him again. And they found him three days later after he floated up in the bottom of a Tallahatchie river and he was completely, you know, um, I don't know how you say, he was just, he was brutalized. He was, he was, I mean, <laughs> He was, he was, um, he was tortured and he was, it was evident and he was underwater for three days. So what came up was, was horrific. And the thing that made that case so unique, because let's face it, back then it was quite common to have black people lynched. They were, you know, the difference was this time his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, um, demanded the casket be opened so people would know about it. So the media possibly would catch on. And so it would, you know, it would give awareness to what was happening all the time. So that was the difference, you know? I mean, like I said, it was, he wasn't the first one to have been killed, but he, his mother did something. She committed this amazing, this brave act of, of, of showing him to, to, to the world, right? And, and not only that, but she, the rest of her life, I think she died in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. She told that story constantly. You know, she relived it. And the photos that Jet Magazine put out, she looked at those and she, she was an activist for, for human rights, for all kinds of causes up till the end of her life. So she, that was her, that was what she did. She relived that. She didn't put it away. She kept it front and center for everybody to see. And it still is today, you know, like uh, 65 years later and everything we're going through, the lessons that she was teaching us, I would say, are like front and center right now. So oh, that's, that's so that's, powerful. And thank you for keeping that voice alive and for well, sharing with I'm, people that I don't know I'm it. doing that. I, 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 
grabbed, you know, um, yeah, it moved me. I think anybody that comes across the story, it's you can't help but be but be mo be moved by it. And um, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, a lot of people are they've always talked about Emmett Till. It's just I think what's happening now, to put it quite bluntly, is I think more white people, maybe younger generations, are learning about who he was. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's the whole point is that people know what happened. Wow. So now that you can look back and we can see that it was so perfect that you had that pause, but how did it feel to you to wait so long and to know it's time to come back to it? Well, to be honest, um, I knew when I would go back to it to record it, a lot of things were gonna have to come together. I was gonna have to get a lot of money because it was a lot of people. <laughs> I was gonna have to, you know, rewrite a lot of the music because a lot of that back then was kind of just quickly written because it was, I only had like a, a few months to, to put the whole thing together from the announcement of the commission to the performance. So, you know, I just knew I needed to get back and make sure everything was working. And, you know, you, you of course you go on uh, 10 years and musically you develop, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there were musical challenges and then there were financial challenges, challenges. And then there was uh, the, the real challenge, I would say, which was, okay, can I speak about this stuff if, if I have to, like you and I are right now, Karen? Yeah. I, I knew I would have to answer to it. Like my feeling of, uh, am I allowed to do this as a white guy, basically? Because I knew, you know, there's a lot of cultural appropriations going around back then and now about, you know, art about Emmett Till and it came up in 2017 with, that, with the artist, Dana Schutz, I believe her name is. And she, she had a painting called The Casket, I think, and it was at the Whitney and it was really controversial. And I, you know, I was watching all these things and, and then um, I guess, you know, politics again, got into it a few years ago and all the blatant explicit racism we were hearing in, 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 from politicians, from media, just everything was just out, you know, cut, cut open. And, 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 and a lot of my friends that played on the record, excuse me, that played on the premiere back in 2009, people that knew about the piece, nobody really knew about it. You know, I had talked about it, but no one really, you know, but some guys that had played were like, man, you need to think about getting that thing out like ASAP. And so, you know, I, I started to raise some money and, um, you know, but I was very motivated, you know, not that I have anything to offer to anybody about answers. I have no answers. I just felt like this was a time to maybe get this thing that I wrote out, you know, this, this expression that I sort of created, you know, this is, this is how it is. This thing that I wrote is really self-serving. It's me trying to figure out a lot of stuff I didn't know about American history, about how I fit into the whole equation, being a white guy playing music with people that look like, you know, people from everywhere. We have Asian people, we have, you know, musicians. We're lucky enough to have access to people from all over the world, you know? We don't maybe see things in the same way as people that don't have that access. But just trying to figure all this stuff out for myself and then, you know, the, the best way I can express it is I'm a musician, so ultimately everything's going to be channeled through music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's, it, it's continuing, you know, I've learned a lot and in, um, because of the record and because of the discussions I've had in the last few months, and again, it's feeding my creativity. I, I feel like, okay, that this is Dialogues on Raised Volume 1, 
And I know volume two is already like, it's already mapping itself out on its own because there's, again, it feeds my creativity because it's, it's helping me understand these things. So yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's not a great way of putting it, but it's sort of self-serving. <laughs> You know, does that, I mean, oh, I love that. I, I yeah. love that also for being a beacon for inspiration and courage to, to dig and to share, even if it's risky and to yeah. make changes. Yeah, no, what absolutely. About change? Yeah. So that's, that's um, something I knew that I was going to have to, you know, rise to the ability mm -hmm. to allow myself to be vulnerable and maybe say something that I shouldn't have yes. said and, and learn, you know, and that's, that's cool. I can, I, I can, uh, I can take it, you know? Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you. I'm gonna be kind of jumping around, but a question sure. I always like to ask has two parts to it, is basically how did COVID affect the release of the project and also how did it affect your own creativity and your personal life? So were there silver linings from COVID for you? Yeah, there were, um, I think we all could say that. Um, I, but let me first, explain what happened with the record. So the record was finished about a year ago. Um, and we scheduled a March 27th um, release date. Um, and that got bumped to April 28th, I believe. In any event, it was an early spring record release date that we were looking towards. And, um, you know, I was having LPs manufactured overseas and CDs and all that stuff. And then, you know, March 15th, I think everything hit, like we all know, and I wasn't sure what to do, but then I didn't have any choice because nothing was being produced. So it was, you know, just shut down and the record release was not gonna happen. We didn't know what to do. We just kind of, you know, like everybody, we were dealing with some other much loftier things like life and death, not yes. Greg's record. You know what I mean? Yes. And, um, and then, um, I guess around early March, we, we thought, okay, let's just see if we can get this out by the end of the summer. And we decided, okay, August 21st. And then just a few weeks later, George Floyd was killed. Mm -hmm. So at that point, everything started, you know, swirling um, all the protests and all the uh, crazy reactions to, to the brutal, vivid murder of him, you know, just like it was brutally vivid of Emmett Till. We could see his, his, his mutilated body right in front of our eyes. Same thing watching George Floyd be killed. There was, there was no nuance needed for either in any event. So that's, yeah, it, it's sort of um, the timing of it was sort of, I don't know, coincidental, whatever you want to say, uh, because of people's attention. I mean, the way I, the way I always thought of it was this record is relevant no matter when I put it out, because these issues have always been there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the difference maybe now uh, is that people are more aware of it because it's so front and center again. And um, yeah, so in terms of the silver lining of COVID, I mean, maybe what I would say is uh, maybe I had more time to, I mean, I think we've all, could, we all could agree with this no matter what we do for a living. Not so much, uh, I wasn't schlepping a bass around. <laughs> going to gig to gig to gig you know i was i was i had a lot more time to sort of reflect 
and I, I don't mean about the record only, but, but of course it applied to that, you know, um, but I just mean in general, just sort of, I could sit still and a lot of things I, I was able to maybe process them more deeply than I ever had before, you know, and um, maybe, you know, and the, there were there were some video projects that we did associated with Dialogues on Race after after the uh, release date was was reannounced, the new the new release date was announced. I should say. Mm -hmm. So I made a video of the Mamie Till. It's called Mother Mamie's Reflections. We could talk about that later if you want. But yes, so there were I'd some videos. Yeah, we did yeah. some videos that were part of Dialogues on Race. We had mm -hmm. time to do them, and then I finished some videos that I had made before the lockdown um, that had nothing to do with Dialogues and Race. Some of these other pieces that I won the, ba the base competition for, uh, the composition competition, you know, those were pieces I had written last year and recorded and then they were just needed to be edited and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I was able to get through um, a lot of unfinished projects, but more than anything I would say is, um, you know, just, uh, slowing down and, and taking a breath and trying to, I mean, it's still happening. It's not a past tense. It's still trying to figure out how to move forward while we're standing still. Right. You know? Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, um, what I would say is if going from here forward, something I, I don't know if this is in the right place in, in, in terms of the interview to, to bring it up, but like something I feel like we need to do as musicians, we need to deal with is, um, you know, like right now, nobody's making any money performing. So right. a lot of people that would normally go to gigs and sell their merchandise, they would sell their records or their, their CDs or their hats or their shirts. That's where they'd make their bread, their money. That's not happening. Right. So instead, uh, I mean, and we don't have any any um, possibility of income coming from record sales because everyone streams. Right. I mean that's that's what's kind of interesting. Like the record got nominated a month ago, and I was kind of maybe thinking maybe some people will be buying it, and they're not really a few, but and it's not a big deal. I'm not I'm not troubled by that, but it's making me aware that people are listening to it because mm -hmm. they're streaming it. Because I get emails from people saying, "Wow, I really like that." We're like, what, what? and I'm, and I'm like, "Wow, okay." So I'm so happy that they're listening to it, but at the same time, you know, uh, I'm on a much lower scale from say other people that put out lots of music that don't make any money. Right. <laughs> you know, like they they have tons of of uh, um, hits on the streaming platforms, and we get no bread. So that's something I'm thinking. Like moving forward, I want to maybe really confront because a lot of people are making money you know executives at these mm -hmm. area streaming sites and okay so it's never gonna the industry is never coming back to what it was right. so maybe we need to take the reins now and see if we can determine how things should change and maybe a little more towards our favor because we've we've all been giving our stuff away just out of the hope that people listen to it mm -hmm. but we need to sort of uh I mean, I, no one disagrees with me. And this is not original. It's not coming from me. It is. I One thing I'd like to share with people listening, I think they don't realize how important their listening is. You know, like, oh, how are we going to know the difference? But when we do, as a creator, 
know the difference. That's what it's full circle. That's what why we're creating is to share it. And even if it's a review, even if it's a comment or any way they can support the creators, it's just all the difference in the world. I create, I really have a purpose in my music for healing and making a difference. And I was able to share one of my tracks with prisoners in LA over the Christmas season. And also it's going to be at the UN. And that means everything to me to know that all those people are going to hear it. But the whole concept of, well, how would I make money from that? That's just a totally different thing. I mean, there are situations like that where you want to give your stuff away. Or I would, yeah. of course, you know. But I guess what I mean is beyond just sort of... Oh, but no, I know people don't understand yeah. that this is how yeah. we, we this is how we spend, it could be 20-hour days, and there's no return to help us support, to sustain ourselves. Well, there you go. It's, 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 yeah. self, it's about self-sustenance. But the other thing I was going to say is, in, in terms of dialogues on race, there are all these poems that people don't get if they stream. Oh, oh. So that's, you know, that's, and I always try to, if I find out that they're streaming, I'll send them an email with all the poems. Like, really? Really, yes. That is think, cool. Because that's the complete listening experience. You, well, that's, the music did, is composed to poems and um, yeah. So. I did want to ask you, oh, I have two questions at the same time. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go for this one. All right. Um, I love poems and I love that you're kind of cross culture with the meaning, the poems and the discussions and just this discussion and just the conversations and communication is what it's all about. So in your statement, mm -hmm. you uh, wrote about how you found inspiration and you persevered through revisiting the poems mm -hmm. that you selected for this piece. And a few of them were from Langston Hughes in Sweet Words on Race. He wrote, right. sweet words, so brave when danger is not near. And Carolyn Kaiser's observation, I sang in the sun of my white oasis as you broke to stone. And from Cornelius Edie's Sherbert, mm -hmm. when he exclaims, the whore to sit, a black man with his white wife and wait like a criminal for service. Or in Richard Katrova's Sky, as he describes the discomfort felt between two strangers in a New Orleans street, a white man and a young black boy. He looks at me and mumbles, he's just resting, which means don't worry, white bread. I won't smash your Ford or steal your VCR. Just don't worry. Today, this hour, I am meant for this stoop. So I just love how you brought in the poems and how it was just woven into the music and just how it is the conversation and your hope that that's what your purpose is. And beyond the finances, which all showed up to make this happen and, and which will continue to show up for you because you have such, you're doing your purpose and following your heart. And it's just so awesome. Thank you. Do you have any other poems you'd like to mention? Well, what I would say about the poems that you mentioned uh, that you just uh, read from, as well as, the, well, the, all of them, the, the the, the, uh, the thing I should explain is that I was trying to give different perspectives of, of you know, people from different cultures, how things are perceived. So Langston Hughes as African-American and, you know, in, the, in that poem, Sweet Words on Race, you know, it's ironic. It's an ironic poem. Um, it's anything but sweet. 
It expresses frustration at the words spoken on the matter of race in, in America. They don't appear to be sincere because the words are spoken. The words that are spoken have not always been followed up by appropriate action or behavior. So, you know, it's, I think it's important for white people to hear that. I'll mm -hmm. be quite blunt again in saying that. Yes. And then the poem by Carolyn Kaiser, she's a Caucasian woman. So, you know, when she says, um, I sing in the sun from my white oasis, you know, it's like, I can't really understand where you're coming from. Cause mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I have a different background. You know, those, that's the thing is just coming from the different, the different perspectives. But the, the one poem that the, the uh, entire piece is, is hinged on is, is by Marilyn Nelson, the one about Emmett Till and it's called Your Only Child. So Marilyn Nelson, she wrote a book about Emmett Till that is surprisingly one of the most beautiful books you, 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 you'll ever read. And it's amazing that she could achieve that, something so horrible, yet she could, she could explain what happened, but in such a sort of loving way. Maybe loving is the wrong word, but I came across the book when I was doing all this research. And the one poem in there that spoke to me that I decided to, to use was Your Only Child. And what it does is it celebrates his mother for her courage. And she makes a direct comparison um, to Jesus's mother. Oh, so it was very powerful. So I use it three times on the record. I use it the first time with Frank Lacey singing it. That was the original version. It's jazz, a jazz version, kind of like Ornette, where it's out of time and it's a lot of bluesy chords and they have the call response that, you know, um, that follows each phrase, but then I use it a second time with a female singer when we have strings, Shelly Washington sings it. And that's a whole other thing. And that that came to be only a couple of years ago when we were up here at Mass Mocha doing the Bang Out of Can summer thing. And there was an incredible exhibit by Nicholas, Nick Cave, an African-American artist who had this, he had the, the biggest uh, venue in the museum. It's like the size of a football field. And you, when you went in, it was beautiful with all these things hanging from the ceiling. And it was like the most glorious environment. But when you got close to these things that were hanging, you saw that they were guns. And wow. it, was a, it was a statement about racism and gun violence in the United States. So I was like, I got to do something from dialogues on race in this, wow. in this exhibit. And I didn't know what to do because this Bang on a Can thing is new music kind of classical players. And I didn't have any jazz musicians per se. So what I did is I took that tune, that poem, Your Only Child, and I reworked it quickly. I didn't have any time again. And I found Shelly, who's a composer uh, at, the, at the festival that she could sing. Mm. Found her key, and then I substituted all the horns um, for strings. Wow. Uh, I, I substituted the strings for horns, I meant to say, and there were no, there were no drums or anything, so I had I realized that was actually the impetus for me to record this piece. I'll be, I'll be quite honest, wow. because at that point, when I heard that and I was like, okay, that kind of works. And I'm like, it's, it's a little different. It's a whole different um, uh, context because of the strings. It gives it like a, almost a reverential vibe where mm -hmm. the first one, Frank Lacey singing it is like street. So I was like, man, there we go. We got, we've got, two versions of the same tune, a tritone away. Wow. <laughs> and then I did a third version where I play it just solo bass. So the tune, it keeps coming back. And that poem, you know, I'm 
beyond grateful to have to, to Marilyn for allowing me to use it and for mm. just finding it. Wow. Yeah. So that, that that's so as I'm listening to you, I'm really feeling how it was organic. It just it just evolved. And, and I think, you know what? Yeah, that's well said. That's maybe the first time I've heard it expressed that way. It sort yeah. of just evolves. In the, in, especially in the last couple of years and and, wow. and even since since it came out because a lot of other things have happened with you know with Keith Beauchamp I mentioned him earlier he's um he, oh I wanted uh, to ask you yes. we had the the move the film the untold yes. story of Emmett yes. Till and how that um he helped you and allowed you to use his film yeah so Keith huh. again I saw that film way back when in 2009 and and thought one day I would like to use that footage of Mamie Till speaking about just describing seeing him. And what we did at the premiere in 2009 is I just took the clip and it's got soundtrack in it. So we couldn't use it for, you know, we couldn't play to it. Instead, I would just allow it to play the audio. We wouldn't do anything. We'd just stand there and you would hear her mm. from the beginning to the end, describe in detail, horrific detail which she saw. And um, so then when we did the record, uh, you know, two years ago, I told the, I told um, two of the musicians, Marcus Rojas, the tuba player, and Ken Thompson, the bass clarinet player, I wanted to keep it low, low range, and I wanted it small. I said, we're going to, we're going to improvise to this text. I played the text and I said, we'll just, I didn't say anything else. I just said, let's just play. And we did three different improvisations Wow. And I chose one. And then I called up Keith, whom I didn't know. I just found his Facebook page and I texted him and I told him what I was doing. And I, I said, I was very moved by your movie and Mamie Till, what she said. And I was wondering if he would allow me access to that so I could incorporate it into my record. And he, within hours, contacted me or called me back or whatever. And we, he, he agreed to it initially, I mean, immediately, immediately. But and then from there, he and I have, you know, he's a couple years younger than me, but I feel like I've met my elder. You know, he's he's a incredibly um, gracious person, and I've I've had a lot of conversations. We've I've grown close to this guy, you know, because of what's happening in the country, and because of you know I put myself in the deep end here a little bit, and I have a lot of questions. Questions will constantly come up in my mind about man, can I? And I'd be writing about Emmett Till as a white person. He's like, yes, you can. And then, you know, it's the, we have we have dialogues on race, wow. you know, and it's it's been great. And in addition to him, the other person I wanted to mention is the narrator, Wayne Smith. Um, he's he narrates track two, Letter to America, which isn't associated with Emmett Till, but it's you know it's 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 um, speaking about a more general issue of of race relations in the country and how immigrants are poorly treated but Wayne Smith is a family member and um, he's African-American he's a Vietnam vet he's a very special guy he works with vet organization veteran organizations um, for years and he uh, found out we were doing well actually I told him I was making this record two years ago and I said we were at a family function I said we're gonna do this record and there's this one part of it that's about Mamie Till Mobley, and he tells me, oh, I knew her. I, I used to work with her in uh, 2000, I think it was. We, we worked together trying to abolish the death penalty. Oh. 
at that point, I said, well, I have to figure out a way to get you on the record. So there I, I you know, brought him in as the narrator. But so he's another person whom I've been, you know, in constant contact with throughout these, these last few months because it's it's been challenging, not for me personally, but in trying to figure out how we how this is all working, how are we all supposed to relate to each other to to to, to not remain stuck, you know, and you have to you have to um you have to talk to people, you know, and 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 Wayne's an, he's older than me, and like I said, he's done a lot of um, work as a lobbyist, and he's he's just um, he's like a, a mentor to me, you know. And I feel lucky that I've had him and Keith and everybody else, all the guys in the band. And so we constantly, in recent months, since everything got so crazy, I find myself calling up these guys and other people that didn't play on the record, just talking about these issues. So you know. I don't know if that would have happened if I didn't have the record out, but this is where it is. So, <laughs> wow. The image that I'm seeing is, which I know will inspire everybody, is that it feels like you're a container and your heart is this magnet. It's just bringing all these people together and you can just channel these discussions and these relationships, and that everybody, if they're open, they open their heart, they open their minds, and they push themselves a little bit more what can be on the other side there's so many gifts that we don't yeah. even know about if you have that courage to take those steps and you have i think i just i had curiosity and um i was fortunate to meet you know to meet some of some some of the people that i've met along the way and to know a lot of the musicians that i that i've known guys yeah. that you know play on the record with me that are like my family and you know, culturally we come from different places, but we're so connected. And and I guess you know, trying to figure out how how is it possible that we're so connected when we're you know mm -hmm. we're we're kind of told by society that we're not supposed to be connected. I've always felt like that, you know, like they yes. deliberately try to keep us in different mm -hmm. lanes, you know. And then unless you're you know ignorant like me, <laughs> you 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 know, you doesn't, it didn't make, never made yeah. sense to me. And I see, I think a lot of that came from when I lived in Europe, you know, looking at the U.S. from the outside and watching the L.A. riots from the outside. And my Spanish colleagues would say to me, man, what's up with your country? You know, you guys have racism everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I didn't, uh, didn't know how to process it all. I was a young guy. And, and, um, but seeing America from the outside was really, really telling because you, you see a lot of great things. You see the youth of the country and how we're like so advanced in certain ways, you know. And then you see the dysfunction of the country, things you mm -hmm. can't explain because they've never been explained to you. And unless yeah. you have the, you know, the the desire to figure them out for yourself, you know, you're not going to learn them. These are, they, I don't know. That's kind of where I, I think a lot of the uh, initial, you know, you have to be critical. It's it's a it's a form of being critical, seeing all the things that I'm just that I'm talking about. It's mm -hmm. I'm being completely critical, you know, and I, I don't mean of others only, of myself too. So. But then there's the room for the compassion because we're all in it, you know, we're all in it, and it's always been said that music is a universal language, and it really does take 
all the walls down because when you're hearing the music, you don't even you don't have an idea who played it and what they look like and where they're from. You hear the heart and you hear the soul. And that's where we connect as musicians. And I'm sure your project brought you much closer to to your musicians and, and their friends. And it was Absolutely. it's fun to know that we when we just started talking have connected in the past and I look forward to in the future. <laughs> connecting again and that we could today and I want to go on and on yeah and, and learn more but I just can't thank you enough and I want you to share with the listeners how they can keep in touch with you and your projects and have more and more dialogues with you yeah I mean I have a website that has a my email on there you can feel oh, free and, and to um just you could there. spell your first name make sure they find it Oh, yeah. My name is Greg with two G's. So it's G-R-E-G-G. -G. My last name is August, like the month. And all the info for the record is there. Beautiful. Um, if you wanted to get it, it's on Bandcamp. But we made LPs. We made gorgeous, mm. clear and black double LPs <laughs> and CDs. And there's downloads, of course, and the streaming like we talked about earlier. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just reach out to me on my website. I would love to talk to Great. everyone. And how about social media? Oh yeah, we got Facebook and Instagram. Just under your name? Is it under yeah. your name? Yep, just under okay. my name. Yep. So That's we'll it. look forward to hearing more and hearing all your music. And I'd love if you could share a track today with us. Sure, we could. Um, I think I'd like to play one of the iterations of Your Only Child. It's, it's the original version uh, with the male singer, Frank Lacey featured. And um, again, He's singing the poetry of Marilyn Nelson, celebrating um, Mamie Till Mobley and her courage and her incredible act. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I, uh, many, many blessings. And I know there's going to be more and more answers to all the questions you helped us ask. Thank you, Karen. So thank, thank you for you. having me. Hopefully I was so clear. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't have been better. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Like the mother of 
road to your destiny Mother of a boy martyr If you to our community as we raise our vibrations and offer support and celebration. To learn more about today's story and guest, and to receive free gifts, please visit KarenOlson.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-O-L-S-O-N, and click on podcast. Until next time, may you have many sound blessings.